he's ready to go. So, Thank you all for that wonderful song. Amen? Great song. A great morning already, I think. God's really blessed us already. Let me, uh, let me just share with you, you saw during the offering, you saw the, uh, the film for Empalme. That's our Baptist church that we're partnering with down in Mexico. And uh, uh, we are privileged to be a part of that ministry down there. And you saw some of the things that go on in the ministry there during the summer. They, they sent that up here and wanted us to share that with you, their church family, let you know what God's doing doing down there. Many souls are being saved down there, and things are changing down there. They've even established a Christian school for young pastors and stuff, so we're part of that too. So keep all of them in your prayer if you would. Now, if you have your Bible, and you should, take it and turn to the book of Genesis. If you don't have it, behind me on the screen will be the will be the verses that I'll be reading from, of course. Let me uh, encourage you, you still have time, if you have not yet, picked up one of the study books, the study guides to the book of Genesis. You'd only be a couple weeks behind. It's only a chapter a day, so you can get caught up in 10 chapters pretty quickly. Uh, so I hope that you'll take those and, and spend some time in, 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 in with the Lord and considering what his word has to say and in prayer concerning those things. This morning, uh, we began by, if you remember, a couple weeks ago, we started with the, with the creation, and last week we talked about the fall of man. And today we're going to go into the flood. And uh, not so much all the technical aspect, but because I want us to really focus in before we come to this table to the reality of what God did in and through that time of judgment of mankind. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I want you to notice on the back side of God's judgment of man, God placed something in the sky. Anybody know what that was that he placed in the sky? A rainbow. What does that signify to us? When God placed a rainbow in the sky, which is kind of in, interesting that it didn't exist before that, as far as we know, but things changed and, and, and uh, we have the rainbow in the sky. And the rainbow is stated by God to mankind as a promise, as a sign of a promise. It's a sign of a covenant. By the way, when you hear the word testament, covenant, or promise, those three words are interchangeable. Everybody got that? Testament, covenant, or promise. Three words that mean the exact same thing. So when we talk about the Old Covenant or the Old Testament or the, or the Old Promise or the New Covenant, New Testament or New Promise, we're talking about the same thing. The rainbow is God's sign of his promise to mankind that he would never destroy mankind by water, by a flood again. Now, a little bit later on this morning, just a little bit, we're going to gather at this table and we're going to take the bread, and we're going to take the cup, and you're going to hear me say when we take the cup, cup Jesus makes this. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This cup is a new promise in the blood of Jesus. The completion of God's promise and his plan to mankind. It represents his blood which was shed for us, that, that blood that cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad that God has forgiven you of your sin? Because the truth is, if we are not forgiven of our sin, the Bible says we are condemned of God. And we stand at the place of the judgment of God. And in some ways, mankind is already, from my view anyway, is already facing the judgment of God. And I think mankind faces the judgment of God in, in various ways. And I don't have a lot of time to talk about that. But, but here's what you need to know. As bad as it gets on this earth, what's going to happen at the great white throne judgment, and just after that, what's happening on this earth cannot compare. There's a judgment day coming. You need to know that. 
And the only thing that will make you secure in facing God is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's an old saying that all paths lead to God. Now, from, from a progressive point of view, that they don't mean the same thing I mean when I say that, but you need to understand this. All paths do lead to God. Every person will stand before God. And you will either stand before him as your Savior, as your Lord, as your Father who will welcome you into his kingdom and say, well, good, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into your reward, or you will stand before him as your judge. But do not be mistaken, you will stand before God. We began this series by talking about that we were created by God and for God. Sin entered in and broke up that relationship with God. And the only one that could fix that broken relationship was God himself as he sent his son Jesus. But you and I are required to respond to what God has done through his son Jesus. And I want you to know this. If you say, well, I'm just not going to make a decision, you've already made a decision. When the Holy Spirit works on your heart and he draws you to Jesus and he convicts, convicts you of your sin and he convinces you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you walk away from that encounter with the Holy Spirit of God and you say, I'm just not going to make a decision. Listen, you have already made a decision. The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. This is the accepted time. I always warn people, don't ever assume that the way that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, he will ever speak to you that way again. Matter of fact, in one passage that we'll be reading here in a moment, it says that God's Spirit will not always strive with man. Don't take for granted that the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you this morning. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that the most important decision you'll ever make is that decision for Christ. And I pray that the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart even now. And I pray that he's bringing you to that place. And I pray you'll respond and you'll, 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 you'll receive Jesus Christ, your Savior. Now, if you are a Christian, if you are born again, if you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you have responded to that call, there's a message for us also. If we do not keep our eyes upon the Lord, if we choose to walk in our flesh rather than walk in the Spirit, we are capable of doing all these ungodly things that we read about in the Scripture. You say, wow, I'm glad that I don't have to face the great white throne judgment. And if you're born again, you don't have to stand before the great white throne judgment. But you will stand before a place called the judgment seat of Christ. And you and I need to realize that though we, will, we are promised eternity in God and nothing can change that because our salvation is completely in his hand, there are consequences for our sins also. God has not called us to a life of sin. God has called us to holiness. A life that is surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God so that he might lead us in the way of God. So that we might experience the fullness of God's blessing and the joy of our salvation. But unfortunately there are far too many Christians that have chose to go the way of carnality. And they are experiencing a life that, 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 that's absent. The joy of their salvation, the assurance of their salvation, and, and, and the realization that God is with them. It's not because God has left them, it's because we in our choices many times have left God. And chose to go off on our own. Let's read in the scripture and let's see the message that God has for us today. The flood. Here's what the flood reveals. First of all, it reveals the wickedness of man. Secondly, it reveals the judgment, the sure judgment of God. But then thirdly, it also reveals the grace of God. 
Don't let anybody ever tell you that God is a God of grace in the New Testament, but only a God of judgment in the Old Testament. God is who he eternally is. Have you learned that yet? He is always a God of grace. And even in the midst of his judgment, he's a God of grace. So let's read what the scripture says. Starting with verse 1 of chapter 6, we'll read through verse 8 for this morning. It says, Now it came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth, the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, they were the mighty men of old, men of renown. When the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only, only evil continually, and the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Then verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the promise that we have. And Lord, I'm grateful that you are a God that when you make a promise, it's set. We don't have to wonder whether it's going to happen. And Lord, when you set that rainbow in the sky, you made a promise to mankind. That's set. And Lord, when you went to the cross and you died on that cross, you established a promise to mankind. And that's set also. So Lord, as we gather here today, give us understanding to the things that you have for us. Lord, help us to receive your word. And Lord, wherever you find us today, I pray that you change us. And I pray that we're receptive to your changing, that we might walk out of here closer to you than when we walked in. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's so much that you can read and deal with as you look in the flood account of Genesis. And there are a lot of technical things that we could spend a lot of time on. That's not my intent this morning. My intent is not to uh, convince you of one thing or another when it comes to the flood. My intent is to deal with where mankind chooses to go, what God chooses to do, in response to mankind's choices, if you will, and then even beyond mankind's choices, we see the grace and the mercy of God. That's what I want you to get this morning. And as we prepare to come to this table, I hope that you are, you are living in the grace and the mercy of God. Well, the Bible says here that man, every thought or every intent of mankind was continually evil. It was contrary to God. And in, in approximately, depending on dating, in approximately 1,600 years since the fall of mankind, we see the degradation and, 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 and the, I guess I'm going to use this word in, in contrast to evolution, the devolution of, of mankind away from God. It didn't take them too long to get to a place where they had little to no consideration of God at all. It didn't take them long to forget that, that God was their creator, and because he was their creator, that they were responsible to him, and they needed to respond to him in all things. Man had chose his own way. Let me remind you the insidious nature of sin. Sin sets in, and usually it's not our intent to go off into full-blown rebellion against God. Usually it creeps in just a little bit. 
And we talked about last week how we as human beings sometimes, we, we, we have this rating system when it comes to sin. We think saying a little no to God is not that big of a deal. It's certainly not as big a deal as someone who takes someone else's life. And we, we put this thing on a rating system. But here's what you and I need to understand. It's at that moment that we say no to God that we step into rebellion against God. And we start that progress, not toward God ever, but always away from God. Until we get to the place where we find ourselves doing things that we said, well, I would never do such a thing as that. Can I ask you this? Looking back on your life, honestly, before God, has there ever been anything that you've ever done in your life so far that at some time in your life prior to that you said, you know, I would never do something like that? I could tell you some things, but you don't need to know them. It's true. We, that's where we begin. Sin always leads to the degradation of man and, and, and the crumbling of a relationship with man and God. Man left to his own devices would always lead to his own destruction. Always. And as I said, about 1,600 years or so, what we have here is man has gotten so far away from God and his wickedness was so so tremendous before God that, that, that God said, I'm sorry that I made man. I regret that I made man. There's a lot of interesting theological aspects to that little statement there. Because sometimes we approach that as God didn't know this was going to happen. And we want to we fall in that progressive thing. God is learning things as things goes along. But we, I hope you understand this about God and believe this about God. God is, as we talked about, he's omniscient. He knows all things. He knows the end from the beginning. The spiritual condition of man at the time, man at the time of the flood is not a surprise to God. Even the flood himself would have been a part, itself would have been a part of the plan of God. But you think about the incredible thing that happened at that flood. Can you imagine God looking all around the world, all around the world? Some, some scholars say by that time in the 1600 years, because remember, if you read the scripture, people lived to be 900 years old. And apparently procreated into the hundreds. That's almost a scary thought on its own right there. We can't imagine how the population, how many generations lived among other generations. I mean, you might be older than your aunt or your uncle. Who knows? But it was an incredible time. Men did not suffer the same impact of, 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 of the environment that we do, of sin that we do. They lived hundreds of years. It was an incredible time. But, but let's just say, let's just say, for argument's sake, there was a million people on the face of the earth. Again, some scholars put it much higher than that. A million people on the face of the earth. And they have gone away from God. And clearly they are doing things that are, that are completely contrary to God. There are statements in these verses that I read that we say, it talks about, it talks about the, the, the giants, or some of your translators would actually use the word Nephilim. There's, there's, there, there's, there's the idea of, of angelic beings somehow having uh, relationships with, with human women. I don't know about all that. I, I've read, it seems like, different views of all, all, all of the, all this. Maybe you have too. And I'm, nev- I gotta tell you, I'm never satisfied with anybody's view I read. And when I think I've come to a conclusion on the view I have, then I get unsatisfied with that one too. 
Something incredibly evil was going on. That's what I can tell you. Something that was beyond just physical aspect. I believe there's a huge spiritual component to what was going on here where men were casting aside God at every turn and doing things that were completely unnatural. So suppose the wickedness of mankind grew so much that within a million people, God finds one man. God finds one man. Do you ever feel like you're in the minority in this world? The way you look at the world? What you believe? I'm talking about what you believe about Jesus. Do you feel like, you know, I'm kind of alone? You know, and we have a multi-generational church here, and I don't think it matters what generation you find yourself in. All the generation, we are the minority. I would even say, and I'm going to go so far as to say that we've gotten to a place that even within the religious community, true Bible-believing Christians have become a minority within the religious establishment. Because, because, because churches have learned to become businesses. Churches have learned to become just another organization. Churches have learned to, to exist and, 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 and even prosper from a, from a human perspective. Because we've learned to do the things that the world says we need to do to prosper. And we assume that if everybody is following us and everybody agrees with us, then we must be right. Don't we, we believe that, don't, don't we believe the majority rules? Some of you are shaking your head because you know where I'm going with this. But when I, when I, when I find myself and, and, and I, I'm probably like a lot of you sometimes. When I find myself saying, God, why why won't they all listen? I'm not talking about you guys. You guys are pretty good listeners, some of you. But God, why, why won't the world listen? The gospel is so wonderful. Jesus, you've done so why won't they why won't they listen? Why won't they why won't they hear? Why won't they trust? And when in, in some of those moments when I say, Lord, I, I'm discouraged. I, I want them to it seems like sometimes we're just spinning our wheels and have we moved past the time when when the Holy Spirit moves in a great way upon a nation I don't know I don't know those things belong to God church has been at this for 2,000 years you would think the church would be stronger than it is you think that the gospel would be out there more than it is you think that more people would be responding and walking in the way of Jesus than there are. But it's not getting stronger. There are not more people coming. We're much like it was in the time of Noah. By the way, I seem to recall my Savior saying something like, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. When you get frustrated that the world doesn't understand and most of the world won't receive and, and even most of the religious people won't receive, let me tell you this. You're not alone. I'm sure you read about Jesus somewhere. I'm sure you heard about, about Jesus sharing what it meant to be his follower, be one of his followers. 
And I'm sure you remember the time when Jesus told the people what it meant to be his disciple. And the Bible says that pretty much all of them got up and left him. And they said, this stuff is too hard. Who can do these things? And our Savior looks around. And there wasn't a majority. There weren't hundreds. There weren't even thousands. And you remember, he, at times, he fed thousands of people. I think it's the interesting part of the song that you all sung when, when it talked about the, when he was on that tree. The, can you imagine all the people that he healed, all the people that he loved, all the people that, that, that he poured out truth into and, and the re- reality of who he was? Yet on that day when he was on the cross... Not a one of them were there. Not a one of them. We find our Savior after all these people leaving him, turning around to the twelve and saying, will you all leave me too? And there you have an insight, the work of the Holy Spirit, and one of the twelve when he says, Lord, where else are we going to go? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. Imagine a world where one man is left with a heart for God. One man. And God says of that world that the wickedness has grown so great in this world that I regret ever making mankind and I will destroy mankind. We fool ourselves to think in our generation that we have moved past the possibility of God pouring out his judgment on the world. We live in a time when people want us to believe that the only God that you need to believe in is a God of love. And by the way, a God of love as the world describes love. That is a God who sort of is just happy with whatever you want to do, live any way that you want to live, believe anything that you want to believe, because God's just happy for you because you do. This sappy uh, deity up there in the sky somewhere that's just throwing rainbow and sunshine on everybody. This idea of this, somehow this is a God of love. When we talk about God, he's not only a God of love, which is true, truly one of his attributes, but he's also a God of justice. He's also a holy God. And he is also a God of judgment. He's a God that cannot and will, listen to me, he cannot and he will not accept sin. It costs him too much for us to act like our sin does not matter. His son came and died for our sin. Jesus suffered the eternal punishment of his father, if you will, upon that cross so that you and I could know the forgiveness of sin. And for us to get to the place where we recreate God in, in, in this sort of uh, Barney the dinosaur, well, that, that may not hit all of you type thing, happy little guy dancing around type thing, with there, with, that everything's okay, we miss what, what this is all about. God does not accept. God has never accepted, and God will never, never accept wickedness and evil and sin in our life. It costs him too much. And there's a day coming, according to the Scripture, when, when, when his patience, if you will, is going to stop. There's a day coming when his spirit will be removed from this earth as we know it today. And there's that day that his wrath will be poured out upon this earth. There's a time of tribulation and a time of great tribulation that's coming that the world has never seen before. Man will be left to themselves. And I I believe initially man will think, hey, this is great stuff. 
But the Bible says unless the days were shortened, there would be no flesh, no life left upon the earth. Because man left to himself will always destroy himself. Wickedness always brings about destruction. And God cannot accept wickedness. And we have that here in the account of the flood, that the wickedness was so great that God moved against it. And God moved as the, as the God of judgment against it. He gave them time. He gave them opportunity. He spoke through Noah. But the men did not listen. Nobody would listen. They didn't need God. Matter of fact, they were their own gods. They didn't need a God who determined their destiny because they were, they were captains of their own destiny. They didn't need someone to tell them how to live. They could live any way that they wanted to live. They didn't want anybody telling them what to do because they could do whatever they wanted to do. And they were unaccountable to anybody on earth or in heaven. Mankind shook their fist in the face of God and says, we don't even believe in you. And we certainly don't need you. If anything about the flood teaches, if, if, anything, if we're taught anything about by the flood account is this, that God certainly is not this inactive deity in the affairs of man. That there comes a time when God begins to act. And because of the wickedness of man, his action may be the action of judgment. We are given pictures in the scripture. One picture that, that I'm reminded of this morning as we talk about this, is a picture of Jesus out of the Gospel of Matthew. And a picture of Jesus is this picture of a stone. And I've used this illustration many times before. He's this stone that comes down from the Father. And Matthew describes it this way. He says, all that fall on that stone are broken. And then he says, also of the same stone. But upon all whom this stone falls, they are crushed. So when it comes to Jesus, that great stone, there's one of two options for every person. We either fall on the stone and are broken or humbled and recognize Jesus for who he is, our Lord and our Savior, or that same stone falls on us and it is a stone of judgment. One stone. Think about this. One Savior. One Lord. He, is, he either is the Lord who's your Savior or he will be the Lord who's your judge. Do you remember how the writer of Hebrews describes the word of God itself? As a sharp what? Two-edged sword. You know what a two-edged sword is able to do? To cut both ways. To cut both ways. When we who are born again and filled with the Holy Spirit read this book, that this book is a blessing. It's an encouragement. It's nourishment to us. It is the bread from God to us. Amen? But when this same book, this same word of God, is put into the life of those who reject God, they hate it. It's a curse to them. They despise it. And it actually speaks of their judgment. See, it's that two-edged sword. Jesus is that stone upon whom we need to fall unless less. He falls upon us and crushes us. God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. 
God has done everything that's needed so that all mankind can know the forgiveness of their sin. God has not left anything undone. You need to understand that. And he did all of that through his son Jesus because he does love us. But a rejection of God by rejecting his son will lead to the judgment of God. It cannot lead anywhere else. It cannot go anywhere else. Listen, the Bible does not teach what is called universalism, that somehow everybody is saved somehow. The Bible teaches that salvation is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not another way to salvation. I know that makes some people mad at us. I know that makes some people say that we're narrow-minded and bigoted, we hate other groups. It's not that we hate other groups. Matter of fact, we love other groups so much that we ought to be telling them that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Because apart from Jesus, all mankind will face the judgment of God. But because of Jesus, man can know the grace of God. And that's the last point I want to share with you this morning. It says this about Noah. Out of all the people that lived on the face of the earth at that time, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Anybody here suppose that Noah was just a perfect human being and God was, was blessed to have him? Of course not. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God moved apparently in Noah's life and Noah responded to the move of God and Noah had faith in God. I mean, out in the middle of nowhere, he's building this incredibly large ark. And it takes this guy a hundred plus years to build this ark. Can you imagine the ridicule and the condemnation that Noah faced? Hey, let's go see Noah today. We don't have anything better to do. Let's just all go see Noah. Let's get our popcorn. Let's get our lawn chairs. Let's go out and look at Brother Noah because he is a mess. This is a show you do not want to miss. Think about this, folks. For us, we live in such a generation that if God doesn't answer in 15 seconds, we think God's not going to answer. 100 years, 100 plus years, he's working on this on this ark. Trusting God. Not fully knowing what God's about and what God's doing. But he trusts God. Noah was not perfect. And by the way, neither are you or I. We are not perfect. But by the grace of God, and because he's poured his grace out into us, like Noah, we can be used of God. We can be used of God to touch some lives. And you say, well, pastor, how many? And my answer to that is, I don't know how many. Because the final count does not belong to us. It belongs to God. See, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But it wasn't only Noah that was saved that day when the flood started. Because of Noah, Noah's wife, Noah's three sons, and his son's wife also were saved that day. It's incredible to think that millions died that day. But from that family, God began to, again, build his relationship with man. Now, if you read ahead, you find out man does what man always does. 
Man always goes his own way. But aren't you glad that God never ceases to pour out his grace toward we human beings? Aren't you glad? If you're here today and you can claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know he's your Lord and Savior, that's so because of God's grace. For without God's grace, you could not even know Christ. You could not come to Christ. You could not respond to Christ. Only by the grace of God does this happen. We have a God of grace. He is also a God of judgment. And his judgment is coming. Jesus warned us that no one knows the day or the hour when he will come again. But he did tell us he's coming again. And he warns us that we are to be prepared. The Gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter, he talks, he gives some parables there, particularly the parables of the virgins and, and their lamps. And a great warning for people if they're not ready for when, he, for when he comes back. God has done everything to make us ready for the coming of Christ. What's ahead in God's plan? What's ahead? One or two things. Just like it was on the day that the flood happened. One or two things. The first one, what's ahead? Sadly, judgment is ahead. And unfortunately, many, I would say even most people, will be standing before the great white throne. And from the great white throne, there's only one place people go. It's into the lake of fire. What's ahead? Unfortunately, for most of mankind, judgment. I don't say that with any joy in my heart. It ought to break our heart and ought to move us, motivate us to be people that are sharing God. But what, what else is ahead? Glory, salvation, being in the very presence of God. Now I wonder what's ahead for you right now. If it all came to an end right now, if the ark door was shut right now and nobody else could get on the ark right now, what's ahead for you? Do you know that you know Jesus? Do you know that he's your Lord? Do you know that he's your Savior? Do you know that you're a child of God? You must know that. You must know that when the ark door closes here very soon, that you're on the inside and not on the outside. On the inside is salvation. On the outside is judgment. Where do you stand today? Would you bow your head with me? Your head bowed and your eyes closed. I want you to take just a few moments with me. And consider a God of grace. That has given his son Jesus. Given all that he has in his son Jesus. So that you and I could know the forgiveness of our sin. So that we could be assured that we are the very children of God. So that we can know that what awaits us is salvation, is glorious, the glorious presence of God. So that we can know that we don't, no longer have to face that judgment. For the scripture says in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, to those who walk according to his spirit. For those who know Jesus, they do not stand condemned and they will not stand 
before the great white throne judgment. That judgment took place at the last altar that mankind would ever need, a place called Calvary. But if you've never responded to the call of the Holy Spirit and trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior more than you need your next breath, you need to do that. So right now, right where you are, if you have never, but you feel led by the Holy Spirit to trust Jesus as your Savior, right now all you have to do is call out to Him. Just call out to Him and say, Lord Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner. And I know there's not a thing I can do about my sin. I can't fix it. I'm guilty. I'm as guilty as, as I can be. But Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sin. And Lord Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. If from a sincere heart led by the Holy Spirit you do that, God doesn't play games with us. If we sincerely ask, he will forgive. If we sincerely come to him, he will receive us. He came that we might have life. He came that our sins might be forgiven. And he's calling us to respond to him. If now you are a child of God and you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior and you've known that even before you walked in here today, but you've taken lightly the sin in your own life, and maybe you've come in here and there's some things in your life that you need to lay before God. It says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a good time for we, even we who are the children of God, who may have sin in our life and unforgiveness in our life or something against somebody in our life, that we lay that before the, the foot of the cross and let Jesus take that away from us, that he might prepare us to come to his table. We come to this table to declare that we have received the promise of God through his son, Jesus Christ. We break the bread, which represents his body that was broken for us. We take the cup and we share it, which represents the blood that was spilt for us that our sins might be forgiven. We come to this table declaring that Jesus Christ is our Lord. And we enter into communion with him because we are his children. And we belong to him. For just a couple minutes more, I'm going to allow you just to spend time alone with God. Let the Holy Spirit prepare you to come and to share at this table. And while you're doing that, I'm going to ask the deacons if they would come forward. Father, I pray that our hearts are open to your Spirit. That we receive what only you can do in preparing us. And as your church gathers here, that what takes place will be glorious to you. Church, there is a day coming when we will not gather in buildings like this. It won't be a setup like this. 
but we'll gather there with our Jesus and we'll share the marriage supper of the Lamb together. I don't want to take the attention away from the table, but it's so poignant and that, that we just got word that, that Lon is with Jesus right now. And he's experiencing things we cannot. So we share this because we're people of hope and faith that God has fulfilled his promise through Christ Jesus. Now for our brother and for everyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus gathered with his disciples, took the bread, and he broke that bread. And he blessed that bread. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for the promise that you fulfilled for my brother Lon. I thank you that we're able to meet around this table at this time. I pray that this is more real to us than it's ever been. Thank you, Lord, for promising us so much through your son, Jesus. In his name I pray.
Jesus took the bread, he broke it, and he blessed it. Let's pray. Father, we hold this bread in our hand. And Father, to us, it's much more than just a piece of bread, for it represents so much to us. The precious body of your son, Jesus, that was broken for us. The miracle of the incarnation. God became a man. God died upon the cross in human form. As we hold this bread, as we share it together, Lord, I ask you, bless it. Bless your church. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat all of it. After he had shared the bread with them, the scripture says that he took the cup and he passed the cup among them and they shared that together.